January 22nd marks the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, the landmark Supreme Court ruling that provided abortion rights to American women. On December 1st, 2021, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, a case about Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban and a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. The court majority has shifted to the extreme right in recent years, and it is now poised to erase close to 50 years of constitutionally guaranteed health care for women. Here to talk about the impact of this potential court decision is Liliana Cabrera. Liliana Cabrera is a Central Oregon resident, president of the Latino Community Association Board, and community health educator and equity, diversity, and inclusion consultant for Planned Parenthood, Columbia Willamette's Bend Health Center. Liliana Cabrera, welcome to the Radical Songbook Podcast. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate your taking the time. Um, so I think we should just start with a, a real basic question I want to ask, and that is what will happen, and many if, and many say it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, and that seems to be the case. What will happen when the Supreme Court rules in favor of Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban? What will change potentially with Roe versus Wade? Well, uh, people will lose access to um, safe and legal abortion. Um, several states have what are considered trigger laws that um, once Roe falls, that those states will then enact outright uh, bans on abortion uh, services and care. And, and here in Oregon, um, abortion rights are protected. Um, so... In your view, why should Oregonians be concerned about this? I mean, anyone who um, lives in the United States should be um, concerned about this because it's continuing to strip us of our rights to access care that we need, um, health care that is vital and important um, for many people at some point in their lives. Um, and one of the things that um, will impact Oregon as a state is that, as I mentioned, some of the states that have these trigger laws put in place, um, folks that are seeking abortions um, in those states will be coming to states where abortion is safe and legal. And so we'll see an influx from patients in Idaho and Nevada, um, and there will be uh, possibly folks coming from states even further. Um, so those kinds of impacts of um, just knowing the struggles um, of folks that are going to be um, doing what it takes to be able to access their care um, in places where they will be able to have it. Um, and, and Oregon is one of those states. But we will definitely see it looks like a 234% increase in patients. And that's from Idaho and Nevada alone. And, and of course, if you live in, excuse me, if you live in Idaho and Nevada, you'll likely be driving. And, and as we all know, there's not much between here and there in, ter uh, in terms of healthcare. So theoretically, people would be coming um, to Bend. 
Absolutely. Yeah, folks would be driving hundreds of miles, and when we see the um, conditions of the roads and the weather and changing weather patterns, um, you know, traveling, you know, may or may not be prepared for um, the different road conditions, and, and that's just talking about traveling, but they would also need to take time off of work, find child care, um, make sure that they have funds for um, overnight stays if they need to, um, being able to um, get food, be nourished, um, and those kinds of things along the way as well. And so that's a, that's a um, what you just described. That's a circumstance that a lot of women in this country already face and in a, in, in a recent opinion piece that you wrote for the Source Weekly here in Bend, Oregon, Liliana, you wrote that even with Roe v. Wade in place, abortion is still out of reach for millions. And could you amplify on that for our listeners and who today with Roe v. Wade in place faces um, severe abortion restrictions in this country and, and why? Absolutely. Um, so we've known abortion since it's been criminalized um, since the 1800s. Um, we've known that people that have had access to money, wealth, um, and folks who are able to navigate um, medical institutions have had a lot of privilege and access to be able to um, get abortion services. Um, but when we think about folks that um, are that don't have that access, that um, are around the poverty poverty line, uh, folks who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color, so BIPOC community, including Latinx um, and um, Asian Pacific Islander communities as well, um, and then to us LGBTQIA uh, folks, so Two Spirit, um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, uh, queer, questioning. Um, intersex, agender, um, asexual folks as well um, have a lot of barriers placed um, in addition to um, some of the, like I said, financial barriers. And so those are things like um, different types of discrimination and bias that they experience in healthcare where providers don't take folks seriously, um, don't offer the services that they um, would offer other folks, um, folks that may feel uncomfortable or unsafe advocating for themselves and the care that they need um, because of historical um, oppression and um, harms that have been done by the, the medical institutions um, and, and also around folks who are um, to us LGBTQIA+. Um, when we center conversations around abortion, specifically as being women's services, uh, we really erase the folks that can become pregnant that um, don't identify as women. Um, so trans men and um, folks who are gender expansive or non-binary um, who also experience pregnancies um, that may uh, choose um, to elect abortion care. And so... Um, those are some um, some folks that are going that have historically faced um, have faced barriers to accessing abortion, um, but even more so when we see um, these 
um, rights being pulled back. Um, and I, I'm not even mentioning, you know, young people and people with disabilities um, who um, also have been stripped of their agency around decision-making in their uh, sexual and reproductive lives and their access to sexual and reproductive health care. It sounds like a, an argument for um, real, genuine, universal, free health care for all. Right. In a recent Guardian column, Rebecca Solnit, who's one of their columnists, argued that that this fight really boils down to one thing, men wanting to control women. It's more than just men. And when we let's be specific around which men we're, t- we're talking about, um, white, cisgender, uh, heterosexual men for the most part. But then when we think about the way that our society has centered their perspectives and their views, then that extends over anyone who um, who shares those um, those values. And so it is um, this, a system. Um, and I'm going to name um, white supremacy um, as being that um, that culture that um, leans into paternalism and deciding that this group of folks. Um, believes that they know better than another group of folks, whether that's women, whether that's um, gender expansive non-binary folks, whether that is people of color, whether that is people with disabilities, whether that uh, uh, whether they are youth, young people. Um, it's this paternalism and white supremacy culture that um, that has wanted control over um, all of these groups of people. Um, because they don't trust um, and want to have control um, in in the decisions that people make, what they have access to, and by taking away people's rights to their full spectrum of care, little by little, um, then they will achieve their goal. So you work for Planned Parenthood. Remind our listeners what Planned Parenthood provides uh, in the way of health care, and then I guess, well, you know, part of that, of course, is what you're what you're doing, what the organization is doing to counter this broader right wing attack on abortion rights. Planned Parenthood has uh, three branches. So we have our health services, um, which is what everybody, what a lot of folks hear about when it comes to sexual and reproductive health care. Um, and so health services looks different across uh, the U.S. because um, in some uh, states and some affiliates, they do provide primary care services, and so they might have more expanded care, but we're mostly known for sexual and reproductive health care. Um, specifically, we got our start um, in the early 1900s, giving people information about um, their bodies, how pregnancies happen, how to prevent pregnancies, um, and so birth control has also been a large part of uh, Planned Parenthood. And then the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive health services like um, sexually transmitted infection and disease testing and treatment, HIV testing, uh, PrEP, which is pre-exposure uh, prophylaxis to prevent um, HIV, um, and then cancer screenings, which have been life-saving for so many people, um, talking about chest and breast cancer screenings, cervical cancer screenings, um, treatment in some places for abnormal um, cervical cells, um, and then pregnancy 
testing, abortion services, um, which has been the most amplified um, service uh, around Planned Parenthood because we are um, the most numerous providers of abortion care, um, which I can go off into why that is. And we've seen so many abortion providers um, lost because they no longer feel safe um, providing the services. Um, but I'm not going to go into all of that. Um, and then that's our health services branch. Um, our education branch, which is the work that I do, um, and we do that in so many different ways. Um, some ways are in classroom education sessions um, in schools from, you know, kindergarten all the way through um, high school into college and universities and adult education, support for parenting adults and guardians, um, folks who are um, working with youth and uh, folks with disabilities around sexual health education and uh, support for folks to be able to make the decisions and have the information that they need to make the decisions uh, that are right and safe for them when it comes to their uh, sexual lives. Um, and then within education, we have our uh, teen and peer education programs where it's peer-to-peer -peer education and peer-led sex ed. Um, and I'm not mentioning all of the different education programs, but um, that is one branch. And then the third branch is our advocacy branch. And so these are the folks that do all of the political work, um, inform and engage people and mobilize folks around the legislation um, that either um, increases and opens up and protects access to the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive health services, including abortion, um, and then fighting against um, the restrictions and bans against um, abortion and sexual and reproductive health care access. Um, and so when we see things like um, loss of funding to cover um, things like birth control, those are some of the issues that we also um, fight for. And then um, being able to endorse um, different candidates that align with our mission and values, um, that's our advocacy side. And so in the state of Oregon, we've got Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon um, who um, run that side of, um, or that branch here in the state. And then each of the different affiliates have their own um, branches, um, the three branches that exist, um, but just may look a little bit different in each affiliate across um, the U.S. The people who want to be part of this struggle, this fight to um, protect health care and abortion rights, be wise of them to pay close attention to what Planned Parenthood is doing and, and if possible, contribute um, some money to the cause. Always, always stay um, informed about what's going on, um, not just in the state, but across the U.S. Because, well, like I mentioned, when one state goes, that kind of leads to a domino effect with other states. And if we can... Um, influence folks that we know in those other communities, um, states, cities, counties, um, so that they are informed about what's going on, that it could have national impact. Um, that's really important. Um, all of the work does take funds um, to be able to employ folks, so everything from folks who are providing services day-to-day um, -day in the health centers, um, folks like myself who do education and outreach, 
in schools and colleges and universities and in the community. And then, of course, um, covering legal fees um, and being able to, to spread the word um, over media, um, those things all um, in this economy that exists right now do um, cost money. And so being able to um, resource all of this work and resourcing when I say that, um, it's not just about the dollars, but it's also about how people can leverage their privilege and support the work that we're doing in any way, shape, or form that is meaningful um, is really important. Um, One-time donations are great, um, but I like to say like um, those monthly gifts um, are the gifts that keep on giving because then they are um, able to give, even if it's a small amount on a regular basis, um, that's something that can be sustainable for folks and helps to sustain us to um, maintain the work that we're doing. And when you said the struggle, um, the struggle is real. Um, it's hard. Um, and there's also amazing community that comes together because it can be really exhausting um, to be in this world, especially in um, the things that we're experiencing right now. And I've been working with Planned Parenthood for 15 years. And so this has been kind of it comes in waves where sometimes we we see um, administrations and groups that um, help us to support and maintain and we can take a, a little breath, um, but then we see times where we have a lot of bills and things that come up against the work that we're doing. Ebbs and flows, but back to like the community that rallies around this work, um, it's, it's so liberating to be around um, folks that share values like this and um, when we are able to celebrate wins like the incredible joy of being able to experience these victories together um, is really amazing too so I, I want to name um, that through the struggle that there's also lots of um, str strength and smiles and solidarity. How can people contact Planned Parenthood? Um, so folks can go to our website. So our national website is PlannedParenthood.org. Our local Planned Parenthood affiliate is uh, PPCW.org, um, which you can also search on our website. Um, you can um, also find uh, PPA um, Oregon, so P the, our advocates.org, um, and they can... Um, when we're out and about again, hopefully when we're able to gather in person, um, we do have events um, that folks can sign up for um, with PPAO um, and our affiliate website to um, be in touch so that folks know when they can attend um, our annual luncheons. Um, some of them will be regional. I know in Bend, uh, we, do ha we have had one and we are hoping to plan um, another gathering for our um, Bend um, supporters and community as well. Um, January 27th is going to be our annual uh, luncheon for Planned Parenthood Columbia Willamette. Um, and we will have Roxanne Gay, um, who will be speaking at our luncheon. And that's going to be a virtual event that folks can uh, sign up for um, and, and attend virtually. I think we'd be remiss if we failed to acknowledge Sadly, the recent passing of uh, Sarah Weddington. For those who don't know, Sarah Weddington was an attorney, one of the two attorneys who argued 
and won the Roe versus Wade case before the Supreme Court at the age of 27, which just boggles my mind. It was the first case in her legal career. She was right out of law school. And as one of her friends said, since no law firm would hire a woman, she had lots of time for good trouble. And so we pay tribute to her for the work that she did way back in nineteen in the 1970s. I always like to ask my guests if there's anything more that uh, I've missed uh, asking or anything that you want to add. Um, I just want to share um, my incredible gratitude um, to folks like you, uh, Michael, and for our community um, that has rallied behind me, um, particularly in Central Oregon. I get to do the work that I do because of the incredible support of um, you all, and um, we get to be present in Bend and continue to support all of the folks east of the Cascades um, to access their sexual and reproductive health care needs. Um, we know that we are just one provider amongst all of the options that are available. But when people choose us, um, we know that that's a choice, and we know that um, people choose us because they trust us and that we um, do really good work. Um, and I think going into the new year with a strong um strong heart and mind um, for us to, to continue forward in our collective liberation that we find those moments and those opportunities to be able to connect and support each other in, in true solidarity. Thank you. Well, Liliana Cabrera, Planned Parenthood, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining me here on the Radical Songbook Podcast. Yeah, happy to do it. Thank you.